for those who don't know me, my name is Mark. I serve as the lead pastor here at our Syracuse campus, and I'm excited to get uh, back into the series that we've been going through. We've, we're going through this uh, series called Anxious for Nothing, um, and, and we're digging into Philippians 4, which is it's really that famous chapter about anxiety. And if you were, you were here last week, you would have heard mention that um, on Kindle, which is the most popular e-reader out there, um, that the Bible is the most highlighted book on Kindle. Now, I don't think any of us are really that surprised by that. We all know how much we like to mark up our Bibles. But uh, what I do find surprising is that the most highlighted passage in the Bible on Kindle is Philippians 4, 6 to 7. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The fact that a passage talking about anxiety is the most highlighted passage in the Bible is pretty telling. I mean, you would think John 3.16 might be the most highlighted Bible passage, but it's not. It's this. It's about anxiety. Because anxiety, obviously, it's not a small matter. It affects everybody. It affects every single one of us. And I think, I think the argument could possibly be made that anxiety might affect us today more than ever before. But did you know that Philippians, it's called one of the prison epistles, okay? And that's because Paul was actually in prison when he wrote this. And the fact uh, that he was, he was writing to uh, the first church that he ever established in Europe, the church in Philippi, and he's talking to them about this, um, about anxiety, while he's in prison, I mean, what better person to, to teach about that than, than him? In that moment, in the, in the circumstance that he's in, uh, knowing that he's imprisoned and knowing that he was most likely going to be put to death, and he's teaching them about anxiety, about, about casting your anxiety on God. See, if anyone can teach us about having peace in spite of our circumstances, it's Paul, especially during this period of time. Now, I know last week we looked at this definition of anxiety says it's a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. So we looked at that last week. That was the definition we gave. But today, today I want to add a little something onto that definition, okay? And I, it's a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome that you can't control. Because that is really where the anxiety comes from, isn't it? It's that we don't have control over it. It's an uncertain outcome that we have no control over. And so that's why today we're going to talk about a certain type of anxiety. We're going to talk about control freak anxiety, okay? Now, I want to, I want to say something. Anytime that you hear somebody teaching about something, um, they're, they're teaching uh, on a subject you should always be questioning 
Why should I be listening to this person? What gives this person the authority or the qualification to teach about this? The answer should be that either they've done extensive research on the subject, um, or they've had a lot of experience in it, or they're, they're an expert on it, okay? They're a, a, a subject expert. And I'm here to tell you that I am an expert on being a control freak. I've had a lot of experience in it. So there you go. There's my qualification for it. That's why you should listen to me today. To be perfectly honest with you, I never really thought of myself as a control freak. Um, never thought of myself as a controlling person. I always thought of myself as pretty easygoing um, and flexible. And then I got married. <laughs> and it's interesting how all of, our, all of our flaws and everything that we were just completely oblivious about before really come to the light when we get married, right? And they're not, they're not only apparent, but they become magnified, it seems. See, I never realized how important I thought it was to load a grocery cart the right way. Um, but I'm sure my wife has been more than grateful to learn the correct way to do that. Um, just one of the many benefits of marrying me and my controlling nature. But uh, here is the big idea today, okay? Is that control is really just an illusion, Okay, and that's why control freaks get so anxious. It's this illusion of control that we think we have. And then when we come to find out that we don't have that control, that's where the anxiety comes in. Think about some of the things that we try to do to be in control, the precautions that we take. Some of us are just overboard with precautions, right? I mean, I'm sure a lot of us know those parents who their kids are going out to ride their bike and they're strapping on a helmet elbow pads, knee pads, wrapping them up in bubble wrap almost if they could, right? Trying to prevent their, their child from hurting themselves. You know, I, I laugh at that because when I was a kid growing up, I, I don't think I even wore shoes when I was riding my bike around town. And somehow I survived. Uh, all my toes are still here. Now, there's nothing wrong with trying to be safe, right? There's nothing wrong with trying to do our best to prevent bad things from happening, uh, but if we really expect to have complete control over every single outcome, we're going to find that we really can't. We really don't have that kind of control. See, we all struggle with this inability to control situations and a lot of times people in our lives. And when we're unable to have that control, um, when unwanted things come along, we 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 definitely start to experience frustration and anger. And now something that I was taught a long time ago is that anger is actually a secondary emotion. It's usually masking something else, something like uh, pain or fear. Fear, when you think about it, it's really the primary emotion behind anxiety, isn't it? It's, it's, it's fear and anxiety, uh, they go hand in hand, and, and that's what really, they take us away from the peace of God, that serenity that he offers us. Now, the key verses that we're going to focus on today in chapter 4 are in verses 4 to 5, okay? It says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. See, Paul's letter to the Philippians, it was written to provide encouragement 
to a church that was suffering persecution. It, he was really, he was calling on them to have this internal, eternal perspective, uh, living in the knowledge that Jesus, he's going to come again, and he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth, and, and, and really that's, that's having that eternal perspective, is focusing on that. Now, to them, with what they were going through, I'm sure this, was, this probably was an encouraging statement, you know, talking about the Lord coming soon. But is that an encouraging, is it an, an encouraging statement to us today? Think about that. Are we encouraged by that? Or are we a little too in love with the lives that we're leading right now? We live probably the most comfortable lives today than almost anybody else in history, you know, in this part of the world, this, this culture that we live in, this country we live in, how blessed we are. We have grocery stores just full of food, any kind of food that we want, right? You can find any food that you're craving, you can find it at a grocery store. Um, restaurants, restaurants in every single corner, go in, you know, be served and fed, um, we've got refrigerators and pantries that we keep chock full all the time, right? We have heating and air conditioning. I mean, I, I know we're grateful for the heating in here. It might not be, uh, you know, top-notch today, but we, I mean, just think about it. If we didn't have heating in here, you know, the difference, um, but we have it in all of our buildings and our cars, heating and air conditioning. We sleep on ridiculously comfortable beds. We're constantly entertained by television and movies and sports. I know we spent a couple hours yesterday watching football, and, and you know, we're just spoiled by, by these devices in our pockets, right? That we can, we can immediately contact anybody that we want to. It's just immediate communication. Or we can look up any information that we want. It's, it's immediate. And yet... With all of these comforts that we have, why is it that we struggle more today with anxiety, it seems, than ever before in any previous generations? Why is that? Well, one thing that I would say is I think that we aren't letting anxiety do what God would have it do. See, anxiety is a wake-up call. It's a thorn in the flesh to remind us of our dependence on God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, Paul writes this. He says, So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan, to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now we don't know exactly what this thorn in Paul's flesh is that he's talking about. It could have been some kind of physical ailment. It could be a disease and illness. Could have been some people um, think maybe his eyesight was was going bad. Um, but what we can tell is that it's something that really hindered him. And in fact, 
If we look at that, the, the root word in Greek that's used for thorn here, it's actually more commonly translated as a sharpened piece of wood or a stake. Far different than just the small annoyance we might, we might picture like a, a rose thorn might have. An actual stake is, is, is more how that could be translated. But God, he, he used this to keep Paul humble, as he's saying here, and dependent on him. And because of it, we see that Paul was one of the most instrumental leaders in the early church, writing, writing all, much in, of the New Testament. Um, without, it, who, without this thorn, who knows how, how much Paul really would have surrendered himself to God, to, to being used by him, or how much would he have kind of taken in his own strength and gone about and done his own ideas, his own, his own business. Now, I want to say that we all have a thorn, every single one of us, something that our sin nature can cling to, something that the enemy can use against us. And it may be, it may be pride, maybe anxiety like we're talking about. It might be anger or hurt. May, we may have addictions or bad habits uh, mental illness, or even, even physical ailments uh, that constantly cause misery to us. Our thorns, we're, they're going to do one of two things. They're either going to drive us away from God, or they're going to draw us closer to God. Haven't you ever noticed that when your life seems to be going well, that is the time that... Um, our relationship with God becomes less of a priority. We really spend a lot less time in, in prayer or in digging into the Word, in the Bible, um, or, or even coming to church and, and, and being in fellowship with other believers. When things are going good, we're, we don't really have that desire as much. We are blinded by our false sense of control and the temporary comfort that we're experiencing. But it's during the difficult times that we end up reaching out, that we recognize how much we need God and, and fellow believers in our lives. When our lives seem to be falling apart, we no longer want to be on the throne of our own lives anymore. That's when we want, we want God to take over. We want him back on the throne. And that's really what our second point is, is, is that through all of the unexpected ups and downs, God is still on the throne, even if we didn't recognize it before. When we thought things were going well and we thought we didn't need him, and we thought we were on the throne, God is still on the throne of our lives. See, when we, when we realize that God is in control all of the time and we're not, that can give us confidence and peace it, that, that we don't experience otherwise. No matter what comes along, no matter what we experience, whatever hardships come along, we can rest in the fact that we know God is still on the throne. And one of the gracious things that God does sometimes uh, is he gives us glimpses during those hard times of his, of his lordship, of his kingship, of him being on that throne, of him being in control. He likes to show us sometimes that he's still at work in those spaces. 
Something I wanted to share is, I know a lot of you probably know that um, Sharice's mom uh, passed uh, a little over a week ago, and, and we've, we've been really grateful to everybody who's reached out um, in love and offered their condolences, and um, we appreciate that a lot. Uh, something you probably didn't know is we, we really didn't have that close of a relationship with Sharice's mom um, ever since Sharice and I got married, really. Um, Sharice had a bit of a rocky relationship uh, with her mom for a long time, but a couple of months ago, uh, she actually suffered a stroke, <clears throat> and uh, we went to visit her as she rehabilitated from it, and her speech was just really slow to return, um, and it, it really never returned fully, uh, but from the first time we visited her after she had her stroke, there was a different attitude from her mom. She couldn't say any words initially, but uh, she was able to show kind of through gestures and, and things how grateful she was to see us. Um, and she even, she kept asking for prayer. Like she knew um, how much she needed prayer. She'd been a believer for a long time. And so she just, she'd put her hands together and we'd ask, do you want us to pray over you? And, and we spent a lot of time praying over her. Um, and as she regained, she regained her speech a little bit over the next week or two, um, and then she, put, she was able to put a, a phrase together uh, for us that Sharice had not heard in a long, long time. As we were telling her goodbye one day as we were leaving, she, she said the words, I love you. Um, and as I said, Sharice had not heard something like that from her mom in a long time. And that was just, a, that was a gift during that time. During a difficult time, God was showing us that I'm using this situation. I'm restoring this relationship somewhat. This broken relationship, I'm doing something in this space. And, you know, especially now as we look back on that, we are just so grateful uh, to have experienced that, experienced that, to see God working through that. Now, <clears throat> the prophet Isaiah was able to experience a moment where God actually gave him a vision during a, a, a time of real unease, a difficult time. King Uzziah, okay, uh, he was the king of Judah for over 52 years, and he hadn't always been a perfect king. He, he had times that, that he wasn't, but uh, for the most part, he had been a, a pretty good king, and he brought a lot of prosperity to the kingdom of Judah that they had not experienced since the time of Solomon. Um, but then he died, okay? And the future is uncertain because if you know the Old Testament, you know king after king, is, it's not the same. Very few kings really uh, honored God the way they were supposed to. So in Isaiah 6.1, it says, It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord... He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. See, the king was gone, the future was uncertain, and there must have been a lot of anxiety being experienced not just by Isaiah, but all of the, all of the people. But God allowed Isaiah to see who was really in charge still, that despite what's going on here, what we see, he got to see who's really on the throne. The author, Max Lucado, puts it like this. He says, Uzziah's throne was empty, 
but God's was occupied. Uzziah's reign had ended, but God's had not. Uzziah's voice was silent, but God's was strong. God calmed the fears of Isaiah, not by removing the problem, but by, reve- but by revealing his divine power and presence. See, God doesn't always, he doesn't always remove the problem, okay? He didn't remove the problem here. But whatever we may go through, God has an eternal perspective that we're not able to see. Think about it. What is it that God wants more than anything for us? Does he want us to have a cozy, comfortable life here? No. No, that is not what's most important. What God wants more than anything is for us to share in eternity with him. This this life that we live here, this life is short. The next is eternal. And God wants us to join him in it. See, whatever he uses here to draw us to him in the end, it's worth it. It's worth it in the end. And that can be different for every single one of us. For me, personally, he used addiction for me to destroy almost every relationship in my life to really break me down to finally get my attention because I need him more than anything. And God loves us. He loves you and me, all of us, enough to pursue us in whatever way it's going to take, whatever way it takes uh, to bring us to our knees where we can finally see that he's on the throne and we're not, that we need him more than we need anything else. Praise God for that fact that he is in control, that he is on the throne. We should rejoice in that. We really should. Because that really rejoicing in that and the fact that he's on the throne is the key to overcoming anxiety. Okay, The practical response To control freak anxiety is to rejoice in the Lord. Let's go back to that passage in Philippians. First part says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. That seems too simple, doesn't it? When anxiety comes our way because of our lack of control over things, we should rejoice in the Lord. But let's remind ourselves Who wrote this and from where? Paul wrote this. He wrote this letter from prison. Talk about having absolutely no control over your situation, over your circumstances. He was a prisoner completely under the control of his captors. And yet he says to always be full of joy. How does rejoicing counteract anxiety? Because the truth is our illusion of control, it's a burden. It's a burden that weighs us down. We spend so much time and energy trying to control and manage our own little worlds, our own little universes that we think we have. It drains us. And it prevents us from surrendering to Jesus and letting him be the Lord of our lives. See, Jesus actually said it like this. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. That's the key. We let him be on the throne. We let him be, on, be in control because it takes that burden off of us, that burden, that illusion of control that we continue to hold on to that's just an illusion. We take his yoke upon us. There's a, there's a very famous prayer that I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with. <clears throat> it's called the serenity prayer. Um, and I think it's invaluable to people who struggle with control. Most people who know it know the, the shortened version, okay? And that's the one that's really made the most popular. But I want to read the full version to you now because I think it's so apl- applicable to this lesson. It says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you make all things right, you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. If you don't have that peace, if you don't know that peace that only comes from accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, putting him on the throne of your life, I hope that you would strongly consider doing that because what the Bible tells us is we all have a problem and that problem is we've racked up a debt of sin that we can't pay. We like to think we can. We like to think that our good works could overcome all of the sin that we've committed in our lives, but we can't. The wages of sin is death, is what it says. And so rather than us suffer that death that we deserve, Jesus, Son of God, came down to be one of us and to die that death that we deserve, that death that we uh, have earned. He took that on himself. And he offers that sacrifice to us to make us right with God to pay that debt of sin that we've racked up. And what it says in the Bible is that this is a free gift of grace. It's free, that anybody can accept it, no matter what you've done. It says in the book of Romans, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, this is offered to you. And if you haven't made that decision, I really hope that you would consider it. Talk with somebody that maybe you came with today. Um, Come talk to me after or one of the other leaders here. We would like to talk with you more about that because it is the most important decision that you will ever make. <clears throat> now, for those of you who have, who have put your faith in Jesus, who have uh, accepted that free gift of grace, today um, is the first Sunday of the month. And on the first Sunday of the month uh, is when we like to celebrate communion. We celebrate this communion with Jesus that he offers us. Um, now, Sharice is grabbing the tray for those of you who did not get the elements. Um, she'll be in in just a minute, and then I'll have you raise your hand. Here she is. If you guys did not get the elements, will you raise your hand, and Sharice will bring them around to you. <clears throat> now, 
really, as we take this today, I want to focus on this series that we're going through on anxiety. Anxiety that can be counteracted by the peace that, that is offered, the peace that we have with God through what Jesus did. And that's really what Jesus was, was offering this night, that last supper that he had with his disciples, was to, to celebrate this new covenant with them, that he was making this sacrifice to make us right with God. And that eventually that we would be invited to have the Holy Spirit take up residence in us that offers us that peace that we can have no matter what circumstances are going on around us, no matter what we go through in this life, that is a peace that can't be taken away. And so as we, as we take communion together, I, I, I really want to focus on that word, that word peace. So it says, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in, remember, in remembrance of me. If you peel back that top layer and take that, waver, that, that wafer, this is the bread that we're talking about. Let's do this in remembrance of Jesus. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Let's take that in remembrance of the blood of Jesus. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, as we take communion here today, we are reminded of how blessed we are, how blessed we are that you, you chose to rescue us from sin and eternal separation from you, that while we were undeserving, while we were unfaithful, you were faithful, that you came and offered yourself as a sacrifice for us that you pursue us when we don't pursue you, that you fight for us when we don't fight for you sometimes, Lord. We are so overwhelmed with your love for us. And Lord, we are grateful to know that when we, when we give our, our lives to you, that you are gonna do so much more with them than we ever would have done on our own. Lord, you use broken people like me, like, like so many of us here. We're so honored. We're so overwhelmed that you would, you would turn our brokenness into something that can be used. I'm grateful that you use my brokenness to reach people who have been broken in the same way. Lord, we thank you the, for the peace that we get from knowing that you're on the throne, that no matter what occurs in this world, that we have security in you, and our security is eternal. And Lord, we look forward to the day of your return when you will put an end to sin, to death, to suffering. You'll wipe away every tear. We thank you. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.